Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. We have an interesting program for you today and we begin with Charles Booker, uh, who of course has formed an exploratory committee for a U.S. Senate seat. As you know, Booker ran a tough race in the Democratic Senate primary last year. He lost to Amy McGrath, who lost to Republican Mitch McConnell. Now Booker, a former state representative, has his eyes on Kentucky's other U.S. Senate seat, the one held by GOP Senator Rand Paul, who is seeking a third term in 2022. He was a recent guest on our program. Booker has staked out unapologetic progressive stands on issues. He has been working to build an organization as he explores this race. A starting block for that was his Hood to the Holler initiative that played off his campaign slogan last year, and we seem to be hearing it again. Booker served, as we said, one term in the State House, has raised about a half million dollars in this exploratory U.S. Senate bid, and we welcome Mr. Booker. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be with you again. You uh, launched your U.S. Senate uh, exploratory bid in April. Uh, you've had considerable uh, money that has been flowing into that. Are you pleased with the response you're getting so far? Bill, I'm fired up. Uh, I mean, the momentum that we're seeing all over Kentucky and all across the country where folks are realizing that we need to listen to the people and prioritize hardworking folks that get ignored and left behind far too long. And it, it makes me proud um, once again to see this fighting spirit of folks that are saying we should take this stand together. Uh, I launched this exploratory really as a testament to the people of Kentucky, saying that I believe we deserve a brighter future. I know we need people in office that will fight for us, that care about us. But I'm not making this decision by myself. You know, we get talked at, we get talked about. No one ever listens to us. I want to listen from the beginning and make sure that when we take this stand, we do it together. And, and it's exciting to see it. Well, let's dive right into uh, some of the issues uh, that are out there. You have recently said that uh, any lawmaker who doesn't support a January 6th commission uh, shouldn't be in Congress, shouldn't be a lawmaker, you've said. Uh, some yeah. who oppose it say, you know, it is political and it's redundant. Uh, clearly, you have a different view of that. Well, well, I do. And first of all, to be clear, what happened on January 6th was a violent insurrection that was intending to undermine our democracy, our ability to be heard, to make a decision about what happens in our future and who represents us. And it cuts to the core of what we believe um, our nation to be and what we aspire to be. And the whole thing was political. You know, the, the folks that were storming into the Capitol were doing it because of this big lie that was being stoked by folks like Rand Paul um, at the expense of our country and our future. And, you know, I want everyone to be safe. I want our communities to be safe, healthy, and thriving. I want our democracy to actually mean something. And that means that we lead to make sure that what happened on January 6th never happens again. And that should be a bipartisan, unanimous declaration from every single elected official, put the politics aside to say that we're gonna make sure that the people of our country the people of our commonwealth are accounted for, their voices are heard, and that our democracy is strong and safe and allowed to grow because we have so much more work to do. Some other issues, you uh, recently compared reparations for African-Americans to uh, coal severance funds in mining areas and tobacco settlement funds. Uh, you call also for a guaranteed annual income. In your view, mm -hmm. 
what do reparations look like? You know, well, the reason that I, I drew this very timely analogy about um, co-severance funds and, and tobacco settlement funds is understanding this is a question about justice and accountability and doing right by the people of Kentucky. Um, reparations is, is that very same. Um, this is understanding that as um, our industries have changed, our economy has changed, whole communities have been left behind and crippled. And to be clear, you know, our country and certainly in our Commonwealth, there was an industry that determined that my ancestors were to work for free. Nobody in this Commonwealth should have to work for free. And at the expense of that, we've seen communities that have been abandoned, uh, crushed by policies that have compounded the harm that we've seen. And, you know, when I think about the coal industry that has been declining and, and is continuing to do so, um, the idea that our government can be intentional to say that, you know what, we're going to make sure to create these co-servants funds, to invest in these communities, and to spur development where these communities have been devastated by this declining industry, because we want to make sure that these folks are taken care of, that they have an opportunity to live a gainful life. And we have a lot of work to do there, clearly, but we should prioritize it. And, you know, the bigger thing for me and why I support uh, what Dr. King lifted up, a guaranteed annual income, I believe we need to invest in people. Nobody should have to ration their insulin to survive. I've had to do it. I'm a type 1 diabetic and nearly died from that. No one should have to question whether they can put food on the table or keep the lights on. That's not partisan. That's just saying that I care about the people, you know, and, and I believe the same with health care. No matter where you're from in this Commonwealth, you deserve quality health care. That is not a partisan thing. That is listening to the people and recognizing the needs that we have. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm building this, uh, this coalition here. You know, I've launched this exploratory to consider a challenge against Rand Paul, who calls himself an eye doctor, but cannot see the challenges that we face on the ground. And so my platform is really about lifting up the people of Kentucky and centering them because they're the priority. Mr. Booker, your uh, run last year uh, came on strong toward the end when so many people had already voted early uh, during those unusual circumstances of the pandemic and uh, they had already voted. Uh, it was pushed along though toward the end by uh, civil rights and social justice issues after the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Uh, do you think there has been progress in the country in the, uh, in the dialogue that has happened uh, since? You know, I, I do believe there's been progress, and I think with the progress we've been able to see in greater detail, how much more progress we need to make. You know, I, I, the thing that really inspires me the most is, as you mentioned, when Breonna Taylor's door was busted down, people all across the Commonwealth of Kentucky felt it. And I've often said that when her door was busted down, our, our door was busted down too. And we saw folks from Pike to the Purchase that were organizing to say, we need justice and accountability. We need to make sure that everyone's safe and that we deal with these issues that are really tied to structural and institutional racism so that Kentucky can have a future that we deserve and that everybody can thrive. And, you know, I, I believe that in this time where, you know, we're dealing with this pandemic where the bottom had fallen out for so many people, we had historic levels of unemployment, that we're looking around to say, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that we get out of this and we're better on the other end of it? And I, I, that's the part that gives me hope 
Speaker, you uh, have also called for the cancellation of student debt, uh, which would include uh, apparently about 600,000 Kentuckians who owe something and $20 billion in debt statewide. Uh, you know, many have worked their way through college or have borrowed and paid back over the years. If you cancel the debt, is that going forward or backward or just the money that is owed right now? You know, for me, as uh, someone and my wife and I both, we're still paying our, our student loans. And, you know, we essentially came to an understanding that we might not ever pay these these things off. Um, it's It really has blocked a lot of folks that are from, you know, areas where they don't have a lot of money, you know, to, to advance their education. They're trying to survive. I, I'm from the West in Louisville and have lived for years in what has been the poorest zip code in Kentucky. And, you know, for a lot of us, we can't afford uh, to to go to college. And if it weren't for uh, student loans and me getting scholarships, I wouldn't have been able to go. And now we're seeing on the back end where we have this tremendous mountain of student debt that's crippling whole communities and robbing folks of being able to have um, a brighter future and live a gainful life, start a business, um, be gainfully employed and, and buy a home and, and invest in their community. Canceling student debt for everyone is a critical way of us saying we're going to invest in our economy and our future. And, you know, the, the president currently has the ability um, to cancel 50000 in student debt, at least, and I believe he should do it for everybody. Uh, do you, but then is it going forward? I mean, then, you know, next week somebody else enters college and they start accruing debt. I mean, just, is this something you would do one time or, or are you essentially talking about making a college universally free? Well, I've, I've said over the years that uh, public college should be free. Um, we, we know now that a high school diploma um, is not enough uh, for most of us that are fighting to get uh, gainful employment to take care of our families. We know we need this. And we also know that not having that access to a college education is a barrier that helps to perpetuate generational poverty. You know, and um, I, I come from that. And, you know, both my parents dropped out of high school to take care of the family. Uh, I was the first in my family to go to law school, and, and it was because of a scholarship I was able to do that. And so I do believe that public college uh, should be free for every single person in this Commonwealth. And, you know, the gains that we've made in community college, that has been the right step forward. Uh, we need to expand that so that everyone in this Commonwealth can advance their education and live a gainful life in this beautiful place that I call home. On, on health care, are, are there parts of the current private pay system that should remain, or do you favor, uh, you know, a kind of single-payer universal insurance approach? Well, you know, I, I have said for years, actually, um, I support Medicare for all. Um, I, and it comes from a very personal place. You know, Bill, I've told you, you know, before and, and mentioned earlier in this interview that I've had to rest my insulin. Um, I nearly died twice from that. And it wasn't because I, I was not working hard enough. I come from a hardworking family. I've always worked at least three jobs, to take care of my girls because they are so expensive. And I, I had a week to either get my refill of insulin or to make sure my girls could eat. And I chose my girls and I'm gonna do it every single time. Nobody should have to do that. Now we have incredible women and men that are in the medical field um, that are certified, that do great work to take care of us all the time. We need to expand that, and we need to make sure that our rural communities have that access. We need to make sure that uh, urban areas like where I'm from, the Western Louisville, have that access. People in West Kentucky, we all deserve it. And so it's finally saying that we have 
one of the most expensive healthcare systems on the planet, but our outcomes are still struggling. And, and in Kentucky, if you look at health implications, we're at the bottom in almost everything. When it when you look at what the, the for all is an economic policy, just as much as a healthcare policy, and we cannot afford not to do it. President Biden is uh, pushing a large infrastructure bill. Republicans point out it goes way beyond the roads and bridges and airports. Should programs like child care and elder care and other things be wrapped into a same bill that is uh, primarily about uh, constructing and reconstructing uh, uh, things that we use to travel? Well, you know, I think this is an important conversation because folks that are expanding and providing clarity to what it means to invest in infrastructure. And look, taking care of our families, investing in our children, that is infrastructure. And, you know, whether it's in this one comprehensive package or not, it is a priority that needs to happen right now. And so I do support um, expanding that definition to make it what it actually is, you know, make ensuring that our, our loved ones, our parents, you know, can um, make sure that children have quality child care so that they can go out and work and do all the things that make Kentucky thrive is critical for our future. All right, Mr. And, Booker, let, you know, it's I think it's timely. Go ahead. Yeah, let me let me go back to to to, to this. So you're, you're for a, a major infrastructure bill. You have called for mm -hmm. a free public college, uh, universal income. Uh, uh, having medical uh, service available for all. Uh, you know, how do you pay for these things going forward? Do you support uh, uh, taxing uh, wealthy Americans and corporations for all of those expenditures? Does everybody see uh, an increase in, the, in their general taxes? Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is we're already paying for it. Um, it's just going into the pockets of the wealthiest few in these big corporations that have figured out how to game the system. Um, when it comes to endless wars, there's a blank check. You know, no one ever asks, well, how do we pay for it? It just happens. And the truth to me is I, I understand, in, you know, managing a budget uh, as, as a parent, um, working in the state legislature, um, having dealt with the budget process there and working in our local government, dealing with the budget process for a city. A budget is a document that defines your values. And it's not a question of whether we can afford it. The question is, do we want to prioritize? Is this what is most important to us? And I'm telling the people of Kentucky that their lives are most important to me. It's not a question of whether we can afford to do it. It's whether we can afford not to do it. And I don't believe that make, that depriving the people of Kentucky of quality health care is something that we can afford to do. Now, Rand Paul has voted to block expanding health care time and time again, while we've continued to fall off the cliff. And this is a moment where we have to be able to that have been able to find and exploit those loopholes and in many ways avoid paying the taxes certainly on par with what regular folks pay but you got to pay your first share we're all, right. all in this thing together final question and here just absolutely. let me ask you the hood to the holler you know it was a slogan that uh, it worked uh, in your campaign the last year you also have formed a, uh, a charitable arm of that and have, have done some things is that coming back as a slogan is it intended to uh, uh, make your point uh, hood to the holler is lifetime work you know it's not about a campaign for any office it's about understanding that the people of kentucky um, deserve so much more. And the only way we're going to get that is if we lead for it ourselves. Um, 
I I told you where I come from. I don't come from politics. I found my way and worked my way into these spaces to work in every level of government. We need more regular folks across Kentucky that have the tools and the resources and support to stand up in leadership at every level so that things can finally change. And organizing um, the people of Kentucky to be citizen lobbyists, building new coalitions, attacking these wedge issues and disarming them to say that we're, we're in this together, we have so many common bonds. That is the work of transforming Kentucky for the better, and that's long-term stuff. Right, Charles Booker, a former state representative and exploring a campaign for the U.S. Senate next year, but sounding very much like a candidate. Uh, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. And thank you. stay with us. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. If you're showing signs of a stroke, doctors say every tick of the clock can mean more lost brain function in the future. But many rural Kentuckians face an uphill battle to get the care they need quickly. The CDC says someone has a stroke in the U.S. every 40 seconds, and someone dies from a stroke every four minutes. As WKYT's Garrett Weimer explains, recent policy changes and technology are helping bridge the great health divide for stroke patients but there's more work to be done. As a longtime paramedic, Chuck O'Neill knows full well the tough decisions EMS have to make daily for stroke patients. Paramedics are used to making these uh, life-saving decisions. Now it's part of his job with the Kentucky Board of EMS, K-Beams, to help make it easier. They're trained well. We continue to try to put uh, training uh, recommendations and tools out there for them uh, so they can make quality decisions that are going to positively impact these patients. So the board has developed this. This is what we want them to use. This is in the state EMS protocol. A playbook to help assess stroke patients and figure out where to take them. So if the stroke screen is positive or a stroke is suspected, uh, we go to yes, identify and document the time the patient was last known well with no signs and symptoms of stroke. Because every second makes a difference. For major ischemic strokes, meaning blockages of blood vessels in the brain, patients can lose as many as 1.8 million neurons per minute. So it, it, it moves very quickly. That reality is magnified in Kentucky's rural areas. All but five of Kentucky's Appalachian counties have rates of stroke deaths higher than the national average. We have a significant number of people in our community still smoke, which is a major computer, uh, contributor to stroke, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. These, these factors all weigh in to put patients at higher risk and then furthermore, when they do have a stroke, it can be more damaging. The state's only comprehensive stroke centers are in Lexington and Louisville. Right now, if a procedure is needed to clear the blockage, it has to be done there. It's why policies and protocols like these are so important to make sure patients are taken to the right place, depending on what they need, whether it's a nearby hospital or the comprehensive stroke centers, for some farther away. We've been really trying to make inroads to ensure that every Kentuckian has access to the best and optimal stroke care. And there are a number of things that 
you know, a number of ways to do that. Dr. Justin Frazier chairs the K-Beam's Cardiac and Stroke Subcommittee trying to address these issues. According to analysis by Kaiser Health News, in Kentucky, 11% of people live more than a 45-minute drive from a certified stroke center. 52% of people live within 45 minutes of a hospital with the most advanced levels of stroke certification. Dr. Fraser says they've been collecting and analyzing data from EMS transports, hoping to find ways to improve. And they're already using technology to help doctors at more advanced stroke centers communicate with other staff the moment a stroke patient goes through the doors somewhere else. Eight hospitals in Appalachian, Kentucky are certified to give TPA, that's a clot-busting drug, and it's common treatment for strokes, but one that has to be given through an IV within four and a half hours of the onset of symptoms. To our community members, you're as much a part of the stroke team as all of us are. That's why experts say it's so important to recognize the signs of a stroke and call 911 right away. F is for face drooping, A is for arm weakness, S is for speech difficulty, and T is time to call 911. Being fast, the key, especially when other aspects of treatment just can't always be so quick. In Lexington, Garrett Weimer, WKYT. And for more information on that topic, just scan this QR code with your phone to go to our Bridging the Health Divide page on WKYT.com. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. Two senators from opposite ends of the political spectrum joining forces. This week, Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Republican Senator Josh Hawley introducing a bill to fight sexual assault in the military. The proposed legislation would boost resources and training for sexual assault response coordinators. It would also order the DOD to evaluate these response programs more thoroughly and report the findings back to Congress. This push comes roughly one year after the disappearance and brutal murder of Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen. Guillen's family says she vanished the day before she planned on filing a harassment complaint. An ensuing independent review found that the Army's Sexual Harassment Assault Response and Prevention Program, also known as SHARP, is structurally flawed. It also found the Army's adjudication processes degrade confidence in that program. Senators Gillibrand and Hawley say their bill would professionalize the military justice system and hold it more accountable. Want more full court press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 here on WKYT. Before we go, Memorial Day is Monday, tomorrow, and as the holiday approaches, we remember the sacrifices of so many veterans. Thousands are laid to rest at Camp Nelson National Cemetery in Jessamine County. Men and women from the Civil War to today's conflicts are buried there. But the cemetery is a year or so away from running out of room. WKYT Sam Dick shows us what is being done to find space for these American heroes. The lines are precise. The grass neatly trimmed on these hillsides. Quiet except for the hum of lawnmowers. Far different from the chaos of war. It's very important for us that these veterans who are laid to rest at Camp Nelson are not forgotten. 
The director of Camp Nelson National Cemetery says as of April, there are 19,000 souls resting here. Veterans starting with the Civil War. More than 1,000 remains unknown, marked by a smaller stone. And next to many, their wives and husbands. Four members of my family are buried here at Camp Nelson National Cemetery, including my uncle Harry Richard Jr., Captain Richard, who served in the U.S. Army during World War II under Patton in a tank. Captain Richard was wounded twice in World War II and captured twice by the Germans. And this is his final resting place. I have a saying to the guys, it's not about me or them, it's about them. That's what we're here for. From the air, the lines of marble headstones fan out in every direction. But there's only so much room. Time is running out. The cemetery director says with the current space, they'll run out of burial plots in a year, maybe a year and a half. One day I'll be buried here somewhere. I want to be with my soldiers. I want to be with my brothers and my sisters. So that's the brotherhood. Army veteran Denny Hart calls Camp Nelson hallowed ground. He treats each veteran buried here with the utmost respect and reverence. Eugene Williams, Tech Sergeant, United States Air Force, Korea, Vietnam, 1934-1997. You and your loving daughter are not forgotten. Nearby, the earth is being prepared. For the first time in more than two decades, Camp Nelson is expanding on a dozen acres. The expansion is critical. It should give the cemetery another 20 years worth of space. When I got the news that they were going to actually get the land and expand, I said, hallelujah, I'm going to be someplace. And it will probably will be the new section. Jessman County donated the land that will be ready sometime early next year. Number 68, Thomas Hodges, Tennessee. You are not forgotten. That piece by our Sam Dick is certainly uh, eye-opening and uh, honoring uh, those uh, veterans. One of the aspects of getting the ground prepared for the next phase at the cemetery is that they need to go at least seven feet deep for the burials. Well, that is Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you this week on WKYT News, and we hope you make it a good week ahead.